Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast for the seeking, for the lost, for the doubting, for the deconstructed. Join me, just a regular guy, as we find, keep, and grow our faith in a deconstructing world. I hope you enjoyed the new intro. I've been doing a music project this last month or so and learning my way around digital workstations and such, and I really wanted to up the production level on my podcast, so I recorded my theme, I added that cool little lead bit, and I added the voiceover as part of the pre-recorded intro. So now we're back to kind of how it was before, but instead of using GarageBand on my iPad, I'm using Reaper on my PC, and... um because that's what I've been using for music, and I'm just going to keep shooting for better and better audio quality. So um, even though there is video, um, when you're doing content of this nature, obviously the way it sounds is the most important part. And um, I kind of got away from that. I sacrificed audio for video. And um, so I'm trying to remedy that. Um, So... I'm trying it for a while. The new intro, the new format to see if I like it. And if you guys like it, that's a plus. No, seriously, it's one of the interesting things about being a creative. While it's true that I do this to pursue truth and I do this to help others pursue truth, ultimately, as a creative, there is part of everything I create that is for myself. If I don't like what I'm creating, I'm really going to struggle with it. So I hope you guys like the new format. But more than that, I hope that I like the new format. Okay, so it has been a while, like since October, that I have done a major release. I have written a blog and a book review and I've done some work on the website, but no new podcasts. I have been working off and on for the last few months on what would have been the next episode. William Lane Craig released some stuff on the historical Adam, and Christian Twitter and Christian Academia has been in uproar about it because of this idea of mytho-history, mainly because most people don't actually understand the term. So the past few months, I had been working on a podcast on higher criticism, the documentary theory, and Genesis 1 through 11 as mytho-history, really explaining certain terms and making a case for it. Um, Anyway, I was on page nine. Two days ago, I deleted that script. The intensity of the topic and the academia involved meant I was mostly quoting articles and other people's thoughts rather than summarizing and forming my own opinions, which is what I prefer to do. That was part of the reason. Another is, I have been working on a metal project with a few other guys the last few months. Um, Actually, both those guys, or most of them, have their own podcasts. So, um... That's pretty cool, actually. Just a side note there. A bunch of us podcasters that are also metalheads kind of getting together and um, putting old hymns and psalms to some, you know, metalcore, post-hardcore, deathcore kind of stuff. And I am excited for when we finally finish that up. It will sound fantastic. But because of that... I've been really focused on the music, and I was really losing the continuity of thought to finish that script in the same voice, um, if you understand that term. So, while my main audience is still the seeking, the lost, and the deconstructed, I need to, for the sake of my own mind, return to apologetics and theology, which are my true interests anyway. So, what I do here as most of you know, is I'm a regular guy. What I mean by that is I have no college, no seminary, there's no letters behind my name, and I dig into theology, apologetics, textual evidence, hermeneutics, all of that kind of stuff, and I break it down in a way that we, the common man, can understand. But this, this was a very academic topic. 
And the deeper I got into it, the more I realized that while I could grasp it, I couldn't break it down. As much as this realization hurts me, I'm just not qualified to handle certain topics. Also, the deeper I got, the more I realized that my personal faith is going in a different direction. I'm actually less towards um, certain aspects of the higher criticism I had been into. And um, so over, over the last month, I've listened to Mere Christianity twice, and I'm in the middle of Simply Christian by N.T. Wright. It reminds me of why I started this podcast in the first place as an apologetic and theological primer for the uninitiated believer that wants to go deeper, for the deconstructionist who is questioning everything, and even for the seeker or the atheist who just wants to understand Christianity better instead of arguing against a straw man, you can listen to me and have better arguments. So, with my mission in mind, instead of getting too influenced by what's going on in academia around me, I will be working through Simply Christian. I have the teaching material. I may go through some of the study questions, but really I want to line it up with scripture. I want to bring in science and psychology and whatnot and do my usual thing with it. And then I will be doing the same for mere Christianity. Honestly, this should take most of the year between those two. I have like five different study guides for mere Christianity. I'm sure I'm going to combine them. I am sure I'm also going to have my own talking points. But I'm really excited to get into apologetics proper, as that was the original point of this podcast to begin with, as I have friends with questions. The goal, the goal, the goal is to deconstruct our disbelief, our doubt, our current paradigm of belief, and reconstruct our faith based on evidence and reason to examine the scriptures in their proper context without creedal thinking or confessional theologies and discover the true Christian faith. Faith does not need to be blind. We can know what we believe and why, and that, that is the goal. So when I did my relaunch, we went over my story and we touched on what deconstruction is and where it comes from and how it can be useful. So now that I have updated you on the upcoming changes, let's do a walkthrough of what it is that I actually believe. You know who I am and why I do what I do, but what is it that I actually believe? I sometimes seem reformed. Sometimes like a legalist, sometimes like a free grace hippie. I'm also into liberal ideas, like higher criticism and ancient Near Eastern mythologies, and its effect on the narrative of scripture. So, with my feet in so many camps, what is it that I believe? Well, I'm not afraid of the Bible. And by that, I mean I'm okay with the idea that traditions, creeds, and confessions could be wrong. I want to believe what Paul believed to live out my faith like Peter and John. What was the, the what was the theology of the early church? How did they worship? Things of that nature. I want the historic Christian faith, while still acknowledging that we understand more about the world around us and within us. We now have psychology. We have medicine. We can we can sequence DNA and we understand the genome at least to a point. But I believe that the Bible is the truth, and the truth is God's reality, and everything else is man's illusion. So, what that means is that as Christians, our worldview, and I really hate that term, by the way, the way we view the world and interact with what goes on around us is through the lens of Scripture. I believe what Scripture says about sexuality, what it has to say about women, what it says about leadership and the purpose of the church, and these are all things that are counter cultural. Too many start with our culture and try to defend their position by bastardizing the biblical text. So here's what I'm going to do. What do I believe? 
Let's go through the What We Believe section on the website under www.reconstructedfaithpodcast.com slash about. And I'm going to deep dive my doctrinal statements for all of you so that you can really know where I'm coming from and what issues I am firm on. First, there is one creator God who exists in the trinity of of Father, Son, and Spirit and created all things for his own glory. I worded this very specifically. I said there is one creator God because I do believe in other lesser gods. I believe the text supports this. If you don't believe me, read Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser, um, listen to Bible Project by Tim Mackey. Um, They can make the case way better than I can. They're way smarter than I am. But this is henotheism, essentially. Um, Biblical monotheism is the correct term for this view of the supernatural realm. God has a heavenly host of other Elohim, other spiritual beings, and they are the sons of God who bear his image in the spiritual realm like we bear his image here on earth. Some rebelled. I believe that Moloch and Baal and Nebo and Dagon and Asherah, many of the other gods of the ancient Middle East, did in fact exist. Obviously not as powerless idols, but as the god the idols represented. This is why the Ark of God destroyed the idol of Dagon when it was stolen by the Philistines. This is why we see God call himself the God of gods and the Lord of lords. We can even look to the first commandment and examine the way it is worded. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Yahweh doesn't say don't have other gods. He doesn't say there is no God but me. No, it is very specifically stated that we are to have no gods over him, above him, beside him. Even in the Psalms, we see language like there is no Elohim like Yahweh. Elohim is the what. It is a word that defines race, or rather, in this case, an order of being. If I say there is no man like Matthew, that doesn't mean there aren't other men. It just means that Matthew is singular in his character. So the Bible means exactly what it says. No other God is like God Yahweh. So I believe exactly what I said. There is one creator God, Yahweh, the Lord, who has created all things, including his heavenly host. God is the only uncreated being. All other beings have been made by him. In fact, if we look at Colossians chapter 1, we see Christ existing before creation. This supports both my view of God as creator and a Trinitarian view that Jesus is God. Here's Colossians 1.15 in the New Living Translation. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Now, if we go to John chapter 1, we can see that all things were created by God through Christ. John starting at verse 1, English Standard Version. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So, we can see that in fact, all things have been created. All things have been created. All things. That's all things have been created through Christ This leads to the next part of my statement, that God exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity is essential Christian belief, and yet one of the hardest things for us to grasp. There have been heresies through the years as people try to understand the Trinity and the nature of Christ's divinity. These ideas have names like Arianism, Nestorianism, and others. So let's look at each one of these in time, and we will review the creed that was written to refute it, and then we will look at a few passages of scripture that illustrate the Trinity. Because while creeds and confessions can be useful for establishing language and helping us understand tradition and orthodoxy and such, ultimately, we want all that we believe to align with the scriptures themselves.
So as early as the second century, Christians were trying to define and codify the nature of God. While it is true that we have the scriptures, it is helpful to the human mind to define things and have theology and doctrines that define what we believe the Bible teaches. One of the first deviances is what we call modalism, which peaked in the third century with what is known as Sabellianism. This states that God is only one person who reveals himself in different ways called modes or faces, aspects, roles, or masks of the one God, and as perceived by the believer rather than three co-eternal persons within the Godhead or a co-equal trinity. Um, Basically, this is an oversimplification of the nature of God. He is, in fact, one God who can function as the Father or the Son or the Spirit, but only one at a time. God basically has three modes, hence the term modalism. When he is the Son, he is not the Father or the Spirit. When he is the Spirit, he is not the Son or the Father, nor are they present somewhere else. This idea would separate the different aspects of God's character to different modes of his being. While God was here as Christ incarnate, there was not a father or spirit that were still in the heavenly realm, because there is in fact only one God. This is like hyper-monotheism. But we can see in Matthew 3 at the baptism of Jesus, Jesus being baptized, rises out of the water, the heavens open, the Spirit descends on him, and the Father speaks, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So, we have the Son, of the Spirit, and the Father all present. There's no logical way this is compatible with modalism. If they had simply read the scriptures, they would know. But, What we often don't think about is that the scriptures were not yet collected and compiled as a whole. This letter, you know, this letter, this epistle was this place, this bishop in this town had a copy of this scroll, this gospel was copied and given to these churches, this gospel to these churches over here. They did not possess the whole Bible the way that we do. This is before the printing press. This is before paper like we think of it. They often used papyrus and everything was copied by hand. So, creedal statements and documents of formal beliefs like the Didache were written and were passed along and taught to help codify the Christian faith and define it and create an orthodoxy. The early church believed correctly that truth needs defined and that words mean things. If we are going to claim to be Christian, that means something. There are certain beliefs that go along with that term, and as time has gone on since the Reformation, really since the Great Awakening more, um, and we focus more and more on personal faith, and less and less on orthodoxy, history, theology, creeds, and confessions, what we believe gets simpler and simpler. Now, these days, all you need is to believe in a Jesus of some kind. It doesn't even need to be the Jesus the Bible teaches. It can be hippie Jesus that only speaks of love and never the law or of hell. Just any kind of Jesus will do. And as long as you follow whatever version of Jesus it is you believe in, you get to say you're a Christian. But the early church knew better. Tosabalianism was rejected by the church as heresy. But modalism has continued to be the most prevalent heresy in the church. We have oneness Pentecostals today um, and Jesus-only denominations and others that would deny the three-person co-equal divinity of God. Then came the Christological issue, or rather in plain English, arguments over the nature of Christ, which are also at their heart a Trinitarian issue. Because for there to be a Trinity, Jesus needs to be God. So the most well-known is what is called Arianism, which rose in the early 4th century. Uh, Arian theology holds that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was begotten by the Father, with the difference that the Son of God did not always exist, but was begotten within time by God the Father. Therefore, Jesus was not co-eternal with God the Father. Arianism holds that the Son is, is distinct from the Father and therefore subordinate to him. Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses would be examples of modern cults that hold to Christ as a created being. 
with cults and other religions out there who would attack the divinity of Christ and the Trinitarian nature of God, I think it is this distinction that makes us true Christians. The Athanasian Creed puts it this way, and I use the Athanasian Creed and not the Nicene because it has a much more specific language. It is fuller and more fleshed out. I just prefer it. Whosoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Christian faith. Which faith, unless everyone do keep whole and undefiled, without doubt he shall perish everlastingly. And the Christian faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Ghost is all one. The glory, equal, the majesty, co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Ghost. The Father, uncreated, the Son, uncreated, and the Holy Ghost, uncreated. The Father, unlimited, the Son, unlimited, and the Holy Ghost, unlimited. The Father, eternal, the Son, eternal, and the Holy Ghost, eternal. And yet, they are not three eternals, but one. As also there are not three uncreated, nor three infinites, but one uncreated and one infinite. So likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son Almighty, and the Holy Ghost Almighty. And yet they are not three Almighties, but one Almighty. So, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Ghost is God, and yet they are not three gods, but one God. So, likewise, the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, and the Holy Ghost is Lord, and yet we have not three Lords, but one Lord. For like as we are compelled by the Christian verity to acknowledge every person by himself, to be God and Lord, so are we forbidden by the Christian religion to say there are three gods or three lords. The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Son of the Father alone, not made nor created but begotten. The Holy Ghost is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created nor begotten but proceeding. So there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Ghost, not three Holy Ghosts. And in this Trinity, none is before or after another, none is greater or less than another, but the whole three persons are co-eternal co and co-equal, so that in all things, as aforesaid, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. He, therefore, that will be saved, let him thus think of the Trinity. That is not the whole creed. There's a second section about Christ's nature and the hypostatic union, but since I didn't make a Christological statement but a Trinitarian one, I will end there for the sake of this conversation. So again, to get back on topic, I believe there's one Creator God who exists in the Trinity of Father, Son, and Spirit and created all things for His own glory. But why for His own glory? Because to quote a song I learned in Sunday school, the Bible tells me so. According to Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Earth itself was created to declare his glory according to Psalms 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. God tells us through the prophet Isaiah that, that we were made for his glory. Isaiah 43.7 Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. About man... I believe that man was created by God to be his image in the physical plane to rule over and subdue creation on God's behalf. Created with free will, man chose to disobey God. This corrupted man's will and creation itself, all of which are now bound by sin and corruption, awaiting the day of restoration. Let's unpack this. 
The Imago Dei, the image of God, is something that has been debated for centuries. Some say it is consciousness, self-awareness. Some would say that man images God's Trinitarian nature, that we are body, mind, and spirit like he is Father, Son, and Spirit. The Eastern view, and the view that I hold, is that imager is a title. It is a role, a status. It is not qualitative, but descriptive. Because all humans are God's image, even though not all share consciousness or self-awareness equally. A fetus isn't self-aware or conscious. But we, most of us at least, those who hold to any kind of pro-life position, would say that an unborn child is an image of God. A man in a coma who's unconscious and unaware is still God's image. So none of these qualitative arguments, meaning none of these arguments that attribute the image of God to a quality, can accurately explain the image of God. It must be a title. Just like Christ has given the title firstborn, even though he always was, he never began, firstborn is a title, a title that comes with inheritance. In the same way, image bearer is a title that comes with a role in this world. This is what is called the functional view of the Imago Dei. Other common views are the substantive view that states, as I mentioned earlier, that there is something about humanity itself and the way we are made, either psychologically or physically or otherwise, that is common with God. Others take the relational view, that it is our ability to have complex relationships and to love that make us like God, and it is only through relationship with Him that we can bear His image. This is the modern view. While the substantive view is normally seen as the historically orthodox view, but I do in fact take the functional view. Where does all of this come from? What does the Bible have to say about it? Let's start with our role as God's imagers. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, English Standard Version. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. So, we are first given purpose as God's rulers, then created in his image. It is the authority, it is the authority we have been given that images God. I said, created with free will, man chose to disobey God. If you know Genesis 2 and 3, you know man was created in Eden and then placed in the garden. Side note, many people miss this, and they think Adam was created in the garden, or that Eden was simply the garden. This is false. They were created in the land of Eden and placed in the garden after creation. I don't necessarily think there's some deep theological meaning that we miss, but... Accuracy is important, and knowing what it says against what we think it says, because there are those who do know inside and out and don't believe, and they will catch you on every little error as to discredit you. Know your Bible, and know what it really says. So anyway, man is created and then placed in the garden and given all the land produced for food. They could eat anything. They could eat anything except the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The serpent, who by the way, another side note, is not specified as Satan, tempted Eve, who ate of the tree, and she tempted Adam, who chose to listen to his wife and ate as well. We are now in bondage to sin. We are in fact dead. Our will is no longer truly free, but is now in bondage to our sinful nature until we are alive in Christ. Jeremiah 17.9, English Standard Version. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Keep that in mind, by the way, anytime someone tells you to follow your heart. Psalm 51.5, English Standard Version. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. 
Psalm 58.3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Both of these verses, all of these, con- conceived in sin, brought forth in iniquity, born wicked, creation itself fell. This world, this universe, the laws of physics even, we can't know for sure, but all things have been corrupted by sin. Romans 8, 19 through 23, English Standard Version. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. So man is now sinful by nature. We sin because we are sinful, not sinful because we sin. This fallen nature is referred to in the scriptures as death. We are dead in sin, unable to bring ourselves to life because dead men cannot decide to be alive. Romans 8, 6-8, through 8, English Standard Version. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 1 Corinthians 2.14, English Standard Version. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Ephesians 2.1-3 And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. John 3, 6 and 7. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Okay? The Bible very much establishes this idea that we are born of sin, born of the flesh, unable to even comprehend that which is spiritual. We are dead men walking around, unable to believe the gospel in our flesh. The next section reads, God is perfect, and his standard is no less than perfection. Therefore, all who sin are cast out. Matthew 5, 48, English Standard Version. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Romans 2, 6, English Standard Version. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. This is not a text about being good and doing the right stuff. This is actually a text meant to point out that no one keeps the law. And if it is doing the law that justifies us, we are hosed. Because Paul reminds us in the next few chapters that no man is good and that all have sinned. So keeping the law, being perfect, essentially, is what is required to be justified to God. To God. Sorry about that. So if man cannot help but sin, but God's standard is perfection, then what can a man do to not be cast away? What can we do to be saved? Repent and believe the gospel. But what is the gospel? 
Know that you are a sinner by nature and by choice who deserves both God's wrath and death, which is the wages of sin. Understand that Jesus came and lived a perfect life and then died in your place, paying your wage and then rose again to life. Those who believe and trust in Christ's work on their behalf will be created, will be credited his righteousness. Sorry. Those who believe and trust in Christ's work on their behalf will be credited his righteousness. Romans 1, 32, English Standard Version. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Okay? All who practice such things, what? They deserve to die. Well, what things? What things are these? Paul gives a huge list of stuff in Romans 1, but really it's those who break God's law. So let's take a, let's take a look at God's law. Let's look at the Ten Commandments and keep in mind that breaking even one of these one time is worthy of death, for it is the price of sin. You shall have no other gods before me. What is your God? What do you think about most? Is it sex? Maybe it's music, video games, money, maybe your job. Whatever it is that controls you, motivates you, whatever it is that occupies your thoughts most is your God. If that isn't Yahweh, if it isn't the God who made you, then you have broken the first commandment. And yes, this can mean this podcast for me. If you're someone in ministry and you're so focused on your ministry serving God, sometimes, sometimes that ministry is more of your God than God is. Two, don't make or worship idols. Do you have an altar to your favorite team? Maybe a man cave or whatever that is just plastered with stuff from whoever your favorite sports ball idols are. This is idolatry. You have given them time and space in your life and in your home that belongs to God. Are you guilty yet? Three, don't use God's name in vain. This isn't just swearing. It is using the name of God or Jesus other than to speak about them. Anytime you, oh my God, or Jesus, and it's not referring to them directly, you break this commandment. Even though I'm sure you're guilty of at least two of these already. Let's continue. Four, remember the Sabbath. We have a tendency not to emphasize this one in the modern church, but I think that's a flaw. Now, I'm not saying to keep the Jewish Sabbath, or it's a sin to work on Sundays because that's nonsense. But in this commandment, God says, hey, I'm God, and even I take it, and even I took a day off. Stop what you're doing and rest in me now, and then will you? Jeesh. Real rest. No social media, no drama, just nothing. Actual rest. Who does that? If you are a workaholic, you have broken God's law and deserve to what? To die. Oh, but wait, there's more. This is just the first table of the law, all the stuff about loving God. We haven't even got to loving our neighbor yet. I'll be honest with all of you. Some days I'm guilty of one, and I'm definitely guilty of four. See, I'm not doing this to I'm not doing this to prove that me or Christians are so much better than others. I'm using the law the way God intended to convict us, myself included, to show us all of the ways we fail to keep his standards. Commandment five. Honor your father and mother. Sorry for the pause. I talk to my mom like she's a child. I'm always getting after her for stuff. I am much more charitable to my dad, but I still think I could be more respectful than I am. I don't really know that I honor them at all. And honoring your parents is more than just treating them well and being obedient. It is about bringing them honor. Do you conduct yourself in a manner that reflects well on your parents? Do you act well 
raised. Or maybe you are lazy and haven't done anything with your life, and you have done nothing to honor your family name. I know these are old world concepts, but this is just some of what we lose when we modernize and deculturalize the scriptures. This podcast might be the only honor-worthy thing I do, and maybe my guitar playing on Sundays, but I know if I was my kid, I wouldn't be proud of myself. I don't have a great job. I don't have any money. I'm divorced. Certainly not what I would have hoped for my child. So, do you honor your parents with your actions? Do you treat them well? No? Guilty. Don't murder. Jesus takes this further and tells us if we hate someone, we've committed murder. Do you hate someone? Do you wish certain people didn't exist? God counts that as murder. And now you are a murderer. Seven, don't commit adultery. Sorry, but lust is adultery. Porn is adultery. Almost everyone is guilty of breaking this commandment these days. It's pretty much impossible with the sexualized culture we live in to not be guilty of lust, of adultery of the mind. As someone who has and from time to time still struggles with pornography, I have certainly broken this commandment more times than I can even count, and that makes me an adulterer. I am guilty. I deserve to die. Eight, don't steal. If it's not yours and it isn't free, don't touch it. I think I stole a few toys from my cousin when I was little, but that was about the extent of theft for me. But even still, even still, that makes me a thief. I'm a thief, and you're probably a thief too. Nine, do not bear false witness. We like to simplify this to don't lie, but bearing false witness is much more than lying. It is speaking about someone's character without proof of our claims. Don't call someone a liar, for example, just because you've heard others say they were lied to by someone, unless you have proof and know firsthand. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. In this world of social media and biased news reports, it is so easy to read an article or watch a story, even though no real evidence is presented and then spread slander, only to be proved a liar six months later when evidence comes out that said thing was not true. I am like the most guilty of breaking this law. Okay? I'm a liar. 10. Don't covet your neighbor's house or wife or anything that is your neighbor's. Okay? Don't look to what others have and want it. Don't be jealous of your neighbor's new sports car or your friend's new guitar or whatever it is. Don't wish for their life instead of yours. I think every now and then, we all feel like we want to keep up with the Joneses. Every now and then, we get FOMO, the fear of missing out. Guess what? These things are sin as they break the 10th commandment. So, let's retrace our steps now that we're all guilty. Romans 1.32, English Standard Version. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. We all deserve to die because we all break God's law. This is the purpose of the law. So the gospel is to understand that we are sinners who deserve death and the wrath of God. But to understand that Jesus came and lived a perfect life and then died in your place paying your wage and then rose again to life. Those who believe and trust in Christ's work on their behalf will be credited his righteousness. Romans 5, English Standard Version the whole chapter. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. 4. 
While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God knows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by this life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So here's where it really gets interesting. We all inherit sin through the actions of one man and through the actions of the second man. All are free from sin. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, trespass death reigned through that one man, this is Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man, again, this is Adam, disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's, Jesus, obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, to show us our sin. When we measure ourselves against the law, as we have just done, we find ourselves guilty. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's Paul again in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, English Standard Version. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order. In order that what? That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. So not because of his own good works that he has just listed in the beginning of chapter 3, which we didn't read, but that which come through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So again, the gospel is to understand that we are sinners who deserve death and the wrath of God. Understand that Jesus came and lived a perfect life and then died in your place paying your wage and then rose again to life. Those who believe and trust Christ's work on their behalf will be credited His righteousness. We, we believe this is the gospel. Christ has accomplished all good things on our behalf, on my behalf on yours, and that as Romans 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Christ ascended to heaven, where he now reigns and rules over creation through his church by the power of the Holy Spirit. He will return to judge both the living and the dead who will be raised either to glory or damnation. Those who trust in Christ for their merit before God will find favor. Those who present themselves, that is their own works, 
that they are, in fact, perhaps better than Joe down the street, that they have done more good than bad, etc. If they present their, their own so-called merit before God, they will be found lacking and be cast out. We believe God has revealed himself both through the natural revelation of creation and moral law and through the special revelation of the scriptures. We'll, we'll begin to dive deep into this in the next episodes as we get into apologetics. We believe the scriptures to be God's word written both by man and God in a way that it both contains the very truth of God's revelation, but also the words, personality, and context of the human authors. For more on this, listen to the last episode on dual authorship. I'll put a link in the description. It is true in regards to all it speaks to and the only and final authority in regards to faith and life. All truth is God's truth, and everything else is man's illusion. If we don't start and finish with the Bible as Christians, we are doing it wrong. This is what I believe. Or at least today's version. I'm always learning, always reforming, always deconstructing, always reconstructing. You can listen to Reconstructed Faith at www.reconstructedfaithpodcast.com where you can also check out my blogs and book reviews. This podcast is available through Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever else it is that you get your podcasts. Also in video format on the Reconstructed Faith YouTube. Don't forget to find us on Facebook and join the discussion group. And finally... If you want to support the show, buy me a coffee. One for $5, three for 15 or five for 25 Just click the link in the description. PayPal is also available for one-time custom payments. You can also support this show by starting your own podcast and using Buzzsprout. If you select one of the paid options, we both get an Amazon gift card.